Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with women in ETFs. We get together every other week with some of the smartest women in this business and we talk shop. I'm Cynthia Murphy here with my colleague, Heather Bell. Hi, everybody. And today we are going to walk in the shoes of an advisor, if you will, with Rita Chang, Chief Executive Officer at Blue Ocean Global Wealth uh, in Washington, D.C. area. Right, Rita? That's right. As we call the DMV, that's D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Rita. We're really excited to dive into the world of advisories with you. So, to start off, I'd love to we'd love to just hear from you how you got into the business of running an advisory. What about financial advice appeal to you? Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's Women's History Month, and I can think of no better way to celebrate Women's History Month than to talk about how amazing the financial advice profession is, and particularly for women. So here's my story. I attended university, and I started out at the engineering track. And I think it's just important to say this. Physics was really hard for me. But I was good at math and statistics, and I found myself helping people in my hall with math and statistics and econ as well, because there's some, sometimes they have to do math. And I was like, oh, wow, um, this is pretty cool. What if I can take math and financial concepts and apply them to business? So I applied to business school. The other thing I didn't tell you is I also studied East Asian language and literature. So I'm truly right brain and left brain. So my first real job is I worked at um, a securities firm where I wrote a newsletter for English-speaking investors. I liked it, but I felt like it was a little bit transactional for me. I didn't really have a lot of interaction with the end user or the clients, if you will. So then what I did is I came back stateside and I decided I wanted to be a financial planner. Back then, like I was in my 20s, and of course I was thinking that I knew this was a tough business. People thinking, what do you know about retirement when you just started working? So I worked really hard to help my husband um, prepare for the CPA exam and launch his career. Meanwhile, I read every book I could on personal finance. I helped him pay off his student loans. We bought a house, had two kids. After the birth of my son, I said, you know what? I feel like I have street credibility. I want to be a financial planner. And I'm definitely a planner. I cashed out my maternity leave and I studied for the Series 63, 65, Life and Health, and Series 7 in six weeks, passed all of the exams. And I said, that's it. I'm going to be a financial planner. So that's my story. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I love the step-by-step and, and how sometimes you just have to be open to different opportunities and to taking on a risk. Um, I, I'd love to, you know, why did you choose this path of, you know, starting your own firm like Blue Ocean? Where did you find the path to creating a value proposition that really stood out among so many other advisories as opposed to just joining another firm? You know, what what you thought you could bring to the table that was unique? So what I know about myself, it's because remember, I studied East Asian literature and finance. So I am a little bit right brain and left brain. Like sometimes if stuff just doesn't feel good to me, I won't do it. And people look at me and they think I'm crazy, but that's the intuition. So when I was interviewing, I interviewed at Merrill Lynch, I interviewed at Prudential, and I interviewed at what was then American Express Financial Advisors. All these firms are good. 
I picked American Express Financial Advisors and I worked there as an employee because I said, you know what, I need to learn the business. Um, And so I worked there. And then I worked first as an employee, then as an independent contractor. And then I said, you know what, now I want to start my own firm. Now, looking back at that, maybe I stayed there a little bit too long, but I felt that it was really important that I learn. I know this is a profession, but I needed to learn the different players in the industry. So there's mutual fund, there's custodians, there's ETF providers. And why I decided to launch my own firm, believe me, it was hard work and I'm glad I did it. But I really believe that it is so important to start with financial planning. And I felt that there were many people who were overlooked and underserved. I felt that it was really important to focus on planning because I think that there are many decisions that people have along the way. These are what I call touch points when people get married, when they have a baby, when they're children start school, when their kids graduate from college, and then you talk about like disability, sickness, divorce, death, people want advice. And I wanted to deliver that for people. When you, I'm just wanted to go back to the concept of uh, you found a lot of underserved people who really can use the help of a financial planner. Is there a specific segment to focus on? We hear this a lot, you know, especially in social media, a lot of the conversation of how finance and investments and just wealth management really needs to, there's so much room to grow and reach parts of the demographics that get overlooked. So what, it it sounds like a little bit of this blue ocean is a little bit of a cause behind it, right? So who is your demographic that you focus on? Sure. So when I entered the profession, um, usually when you're an advisor, your clients are very similar to you, meaning they're like either 10 years older or 10 years younger. And I felt at that time, so I guess my blue ocean strategy was focused on planning because in the past, people usually would ask a client or a prospect, how much money do you have? And there's nothing wrong with that question. But if somebody didn't have assets under management, they may not be able to pay for the services. It doesn't mean that they didn't want to pay. They couldn't pay. There's a distinction here. If your business model, and I'm not saying it's wrong, this is just my view of the world. If I was 32 years old and I was told I need to find people who have half a million or more and the people that I want to serve are around my age that don't have half a million or more, and they are paying for services based on a percentage of assets under management, it's not that these people don't want to pay. That business model doesn't work for them. So I decided to focus on planning first, which allows people who are younger, who may be more diverse than the clients that the industry or profession typically serve, be able to access financial advice. So initially, I was just trying to serve people who looked like me. I was the first one in my family that went to college, and I didn't have any student loan debt. It doesn't mean that I think I'm so great. To be honest, I probably worked too hard in college. I didn't get to enjoy <laughs> life as much as I probably should have. But I say that in jest that I wanted to be able to be the advisor that I wish I had, mm-hmm. right, and speak to those people. 
So this is what I call emerging wealth. Maybe our parents didn't have these conversations with us. It's not because they were bad. They just didn't have the same experiences that we had. And some people say, well, parents didn't have conversations because maybe they didn't have money. There is some truth to that, but it's also about experiences, right? We didn't have those conversations because my dad's experience was different. He wasn't born here. He came to America uh, to attend grad school, right? So he didn't know what a GPA was or what a student loan was. Mm -hmm. So there was no way for him to engage in these conversations with me. But it didn't mean that he was a bad person. I love my dad. And so I really wanted to set up and be that advisor and provide that experience to people where it was a safe place to get their questions answered Mm -hmm. and where we valued them and their experiences. And have you found anything like really unique about just, I guess, client behavior in these different groups? So when I think about, you know, we were talking about this earlier, about 2020 being the year of the unprecedented, right? In your experience, was there something you learned about how investors, I guess, with more or less wealth tackle these types of dramatic turn of events or about how they think in terms of financial planning or about investment discipline. Any interesting lessons you learned from being an advisor in the front lines in 2020? Sure. I definitely can share some valuable lessons. So the first thing I can say is, you know, it's no one wants to plan for the unexpected or planned for a pandemic. I don't even think I even asked, okay, what's the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic? Like I looked it up and the National Institute of Health, NIH is right. It's it's, it's not far. It's walking distance from here. So I think that we all learned a lot of new terminology. The one thing that I guess the pandemic has reaffirmed is planning is a lot of work. It's a lot of work for the clients. It's a lot of work for me too, but it's so worth it because we not only understand what is important to the client, but we get to understand how they think. So I'm learning about their assets, their liabilities, their income, their insurance and the expenses. And it is not because I'm nosy. It's just for me to do the best job possible. I want to make sure I don't overlook anything. So what the pandemic really highlighted is while we don't necessarily like to plan for a pandemic, it's important to be prepared. And I think clients really valued that. I think the one thing that the pandemic has really highlighted is, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge we do have a wealth gap in our country and we have an income gap. And I know that the income gap leads to the wealth gap, which also leads to a retirement savings gap and quite honestly, a retirement crisis. Like, I don't want to be negative. But I think I'd be, it's important to acknowledge it. And I've seen that, you know, people with more wealth have been able to recover faster. Mm-hmm. And I find that troublesome. So that's why, like, you know, I take every opportunity. I did a lot of pro bono counseling to help people extended family of clients that may not have been my clients, but for my clients to know that they can help someone they care about is incredibly valuable. During the pandemic, did you find yourself doing more kind of like advisory type role and more kind of like handholding because it was a pretty wild ride? Absolutely. I think that during, so the other thing that I learned is, and I've told people this, 
Your clients like to be heard. And even if I don't know the answer, there is nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I'm not sure how pandemic unemployment insurance works. I don't know all the details. It was okay for me to say all the details, that I didn't know all the details. My clients didn't expect me to, but what they really appreciated is that if I didn't know the answer at that time, I was resourceful and I helped them get that answer. So I did find myself um, doing a lot of hand-holding. I found myself working a lot and and I'm not complaining. I want to be there for people, right? That is so important. The other thing that I think is also important is for those clients who really believe in planning, and many of my clients do, it's so important to use fintech to enhance and supplement the client experience. But I also just used some old-fashioned methods like picking up the phone or writing handwritten notes. Like I wrote handwritten notes to almost every client. I printed out their statement from Q2 2020 and I wrote a handwritten note. There was a stack, I would say probably this high of paper. It was so high, but I did it because I know you guys can't see how much paper (laughs) I'm showing you on the podcast, but I thought it was so important to take the time because people are at home. They're not really getting a lot of mail. And it showed people that I not only was paying attention, but I genuinely cared. What's amazing is just with so we live in the era of information. There's so much information out there on everything. And yet there's such a knowledge gap, an educational gap when it comes to personal finances. So I just I'm just fascinated for the effort that you put into just basic financial education here. It's it's really a calling. I love how you said that because you know there's a job, there's a profession. And financial planning, yeah, and wealth management, I do believe it's my calling. Like I'm able to use both my skills, you know, I'm, I'm good at analysis and I really am very intuitive. So I feel like I can be myself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is, um, you know, I'm very involved with women in ETFs and I know that, you know, when I was younger, I, and I mean, I'm still experiencing, I think it's important to be candid, maybe imposter syndrome, because I didn't necessarily look like what you think an advisor should look like, or talk the way an advisor looked like, but I can be me, I can be analytic, and thorough, but I can also be caring, and compassionate, and empathetic. And I think that shines through when I'm working with my clients. Mm-hmm. So you talked about the value proposition. I genuinely care. Now, what sometimes is frustrating is I don't want to find myself in a situation when I care more about people's finances than they do <laughs> and they're checked out. But it is definitely um, not just like my job or profession. It's my calling. And I'm very committed to helping you know, others succeed in this profession. So I wanted to circle back to and Heather jump in um, if you want as well to your comment about how fintech is so crucial 
to doing this job and to achieving the best results. I mean, I would think from an advisor perspective, there are so many tools out there, so many, you know, people pitching different solutions. I, I think it would be an overwhelming task to know even where to begin with due diligence on what's the best tool, what's the best technology, what's the best solution. So where do you begin in that process? Technology, particularly fintech, is overwhelming because it is so fast moving. So a lot of times people ask me, which is the best tool? And I'm not being silly when I say that. I was like, the best tool is the one that you're going to use. But in all seriousness, the best one that your team is going to use and that your clients are going to use. So the best one is the one that people use. I mean, I admit sometimes I feel a little bit overwhelmed, but I think that the tools that have helped me serve my clients would be my financial planning software. Um, I use NaviPlan, my client portal, eMoney, and then Riskalyze. It helps clients understand their risk number so their investments can be consistent and they can experience risk alignment. And of course, you know, video conferencing makes it all possible, um, but it can be like really overwhelming because integration, the tools working together. And sometimes, you know, people are like, what's your wish? My wish is for everything to, to be integrated and aggregated. So integrated means working together. Aggregate means like single sign on so I can see everything uh, in one screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> I think that's everybody's dream, Rita, on everything nowadays. <laughs> One more password and that's it. I can no longer do this. So I think we're all there. Should we talk just a little bit about the market before we wrap up? Um, as we look ahead, you know, 2021, vaccines, economy reopening, but still plenty of concerns. When you're talking to your clients, what are some of your biggest concerns or things that are on your radar big time this year? So I think what's concerning for clients is, you know, the extreme volatility that we experienced in 2020, beginning in March. And then the markets did recover. I think what concerns clients is, you know, right now interest rates are low, right? And that's not good for bonds, but you need to have bonds in your portfolio. So what can I do on a proactive basis? Also inflation, inflation is low right now, but with stimulus and everything that is happening, there's still many people out of work. And of course they need assistance. What are the long-term implications of that? And then healthcare, you know, not just access, but cost. So these are really important. I'd say the last thing is, you know, housing and retirement. Even wealthy people are like, you know what? The house I live now, I like it, but it's not necessarily, you know, convenient, right? I know it's safe and it's comfortable, but you know, I've been stuck inside for all these months. Is this really where I want to be? Like, I want to get out and walk and move. So these are all what's on top of people's minds. And I would say the last thing for people who do have children is higher education and student loan. They want to make sure that their children, you know, have a bright future without being, uh, without having student loan payments that ravage mortgage debt. Yeah, I know. I'm about to send two to college in the next year and year and a half. So I'm uh, definitely on that page. <laughs> it's a big concern for sure. Yeah, I was just wondering, what do you see as your biggest challenges right now as an advisor in serving your clients in the current environment? Because 
it is an unprecedented environment, though I guess you could say that for almost every environment we've been in for the last 20 years. But is there anything unique, any challenges that have arisen in more recent years? Sure. So I think some of the challenges that we are experiencing this year, we have experienced in the past. It's just they are more pronounced or there's a greatest awareness. But I think if you were to ask me as an advisor, what is the greatest challenge our profession is facing? I think it's twofold. First, making sure that we bring more people into our profession to serve our population because the need for financial advice is greater than ever. So that is like, I guess I'd say an external problem, right? Pipeline. The other issue that I think is challenging is we need to make sure that we are helping clients create sustainable retirement income. It is not going to be unusual. It's no longer 20 years in retirement. You know, people could be spending 40, 45 years in retirement, and that's not an exaggeration. My grandmother lived to be 94. My mommy today is 74. My mom is healthy, but my mommy very well could live beyond 94, 95. These aren't bad things. So the challenge is, what are we doing as a profession to make sure that our clients can have security throughout the different stages of retirement. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great point. Uh, as longevity increases, you know, we have to have better financial preparedness to, to face that, that's for sure. Rita, we're going to have to wrap it up and leave it there. I would encourage everyone to check out Blue Ocean Global Wealth website for more information and, and uh, follow Rita, if you will. And I am really glad you joined us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. For more episodes, please check ETF.com. If you would like to learn more about women in ETFs and get involved, check out womeninetfs.com. We are really excited you joined us today, and we hope you will join us next time. <music>